Welcome to Tequila Talks, the podcast that provides a comprehensive understanding of the world of finance and technology today. This show is brought to you by Nova Payment, a mission-critical financial and payments infrastructure provider. I'm Alex Johnson, and I'll be hosting the first episodes, where I'll be talking to industry leaders and delving into the business models of some of the most successful fintechs operating right now across the Americas. And I'm Nicole Kasperson, and I'll hear the human stories and insights behind the headlines that most people miss. Let's do this. There's so much more to be done. So we're seeing this um, increase like cross-pollination between people that grew up in tech and have that background stepping into financial services for the first time and learning more about what it means to work with these regulated entities in our financial system. And then you have more bankers that are kind of finding themselves over on the tech side and, and not just tech, but startup and kind of understanding the the different industries and ecosystems. And so I get excited about the the opportunity that's still out there. There's still so much unrealized and I'm excited to go help be a piece of solving for that. Emily, thank you so much for joining Humans of FinTech. This is actually a series called Tequila Talks, interesting enough, no tequila involved, Um, really more so an ode to the Latin American emphasis that we will have later on in the conversation. But thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me join. Honored to be here. Well, to kick things off, I always like to dive a little bit into my guests' backgrounds. I do fundamentally believe that your story and your uh, basically equals your leadership, right? Equals uh, all of the the values and characteristics that you bring to the table at your work. So your story, very unique. You start as a part-time bank teller in 2010. I mean, set the stage for what that entry into the financial services realm looks like. So it it starts with me going to Google and saying, what are the best jobs for college students? <laughs> and banking came up. So then I Google searched banks in Wichita, Kansas, and I found my way to Emprise Bank. Well, and I love that because I think people think entering this arena is more challenging than it truly is. Uh, just as simple of a Google search. And I also appreciate that a lot for my female audience that can kind of grapple with, oh, I need the right connect or I need to have a background in financial services. I mean, that didn't dawn on you at all. Or were you how was that mindset for you at the time? At the time, I was just going to be a teller, maybe a banker eventually get through college and then go start a career. I have the benefit of being in a bank and I really like an institution. It's family owned and has these really strong values. And I've just once I got into Emprise Bank, I realized how much I appreciated it. And then that grow that appreciation has grown over financial services too in the time that I've been here. Is there a favorite evolution or almost change or shift that has happened in the last over a decade for you? Well, it's it's definitely the fintech side. So right. So it's like the thing that I think about is and I've heard this phrase before and I think about it for myself, is my career is a little bit more like a lattice than a ladder, which isn't a bad thing. So, you know, entry point being banker or teller working through retail, for me, there was a pivotal point where the head of technology said, hey, I need another manager in our data center. And she saw an opportunity for me to step into that. I don't have a technology background. I don't have like technical degree or history, but there's curiosity, there's opportunity. Um, At the time, I was also just interested in fintech too. So it made sense for me to step into it. And that was a big pivotal point for me 
getting all the way into fintech eventually. What felt so like monumental about it? Was it just the learning about fintech and it being just such a heavily mission and passion driven aspect of our industry? It's the opportunity that's there. It's the opportunity and innovation around delivering banking services in a new way. You know, banking is not new. We've done it for a very long time. And you have these institutions that have done community banking the same way over and over. So fintech is so interesting because it puts a new spin on it. It, it follows the curve of technology trends, which for me are really interesting and energizing to see both where like where society is headed and where we adopt things and what continues to evolve in those spaces. And there's just this nice intersection between technology and traditional finance that is really energizing for me. A couple of things. One, I think it's really, really important to emphasize that element of your story that it really was a curiosity for the industry and understanding that the pervasiveness of technology today can really be used for for good and for impact. And you don't need a background in technology or coding or engineering to have that inherent curiosity and I think it's really important for you know my audience to hear, for a lot more people to hear, so that we can see a lot more diversified human beings in the industry, right? You know, you don't have to just be a banker, or you don't have to just be a former coder or what have you, or from the tech industry to to want to have that type of curiosity. You know, I'd be curious, what about the fintech space? Maybe is like energizing you the most now to kind of keep that fire that you had back in 20, you know, well, somewhere along that journey in the last yeah. 10 years where you kind of got into more fintech? There's so much more to be done. So we're seeing this um, increase like cross-pollination between people that grew up in tech and have that background stepping into financial services for the first time and learning more about what it means to work with these regulated entities in our financial system. And then you have more bankers that are kind of finding themselves over on the tech side and, and not just tech, but startup and kind of understanding the the different industries and ecosystems. Um, there's still a lot of that that needs done. And I'm excited to continue to see the solutions that come out of it. So Empire Bank does not have developers on staff. And so we need a partner to go build and develop. We have ideas and we see the gaps in financial services and we know it deeply because it's so close to home for us and we see it every day, but we can't solve that independently. And so I get excited about the the opportunity that's still out there. There's still so much unrealized and I'm excited to go help be a piece of solving for that. Yeah, and I think there's something special too about being at a community family-owned bank, right? It's a very different situation than being at one of the, you know, larger Wall Street big banks, right? Because you're you're almost even though you're considered a more, you know, traditional way of financial services, there mm-hmm. is that Really, that that parallel with the fintech space, which is wanting to cater to communities, wanting to personalize, wanting to be able to stretch yourself so that you can and your product offering so that it can reach as you know many people as possible or, or help as many people in your community as possible. So, I mean, I imagine, hopefully, finding fintech companies to work with is easy for in a sense, right? In that in that regard. Well, it's important to have diverse voices when we're all building something for, uh, you know, a variety of a population. And that diverse voice for us could be it's a community bank in Wichita, Kansas, that's family owned. I mean, we certainly offer a different perspective than different types of bank entities of different ownership or size or history. 
and having us play a role and be a voice in that movement allows us to communicate uh, different types of communities that maybe wouldn't otherwise be discussed to go solve for. Uh, so I think that's really interesting. I have the benefit of a CEO, you know, who's third generation owner who went and had a career in New York in investment making and came back after 20 years to run the bank. And so that's pivotal to how we take this this bank and the values are the same. It's the same family. It's the same community in Kansas that we've started with. But taking his experiences and driving us forward and really thinking about how we might partner with technology providers um, has gotten us to the point we're at today. Yeah. What's like the state of the union for you in terms of working with fintechs currently? I mean, I'm sure it's I mean, in these in in volatile times, if you will, like what we're in now, I mean, it's it's the collaboration at, at this point is the most important because we're all trying to you know use as many resources as we can but when we come together that makes that more possible so i mean is that like sentiment coming through during these hard times it is more than ever and it's been where it's been where i started and where the bank started kind of when we went down this bank as a service journey where we know how to have a relationship right we've had relationships with people in our community for years to help solve their financial problems and so we're trying to bring that collaboration and relationship value into this work. Um, but we need, you know, to do that, you have to have appreciation on both sides. And we've had that. But I would say there's more enhanced understanding of what we have on our side of the fence within regula the regulatory environment than ever. I also think what's interesting is I've seen a dramatic uptick in fintech partners looking for a second bank partner, both for growth, but also for contingency. So I think that's interesting to where we're headed and how we kind of build around that idea because it's not easy to move from bank to bank. And we have to think about that given kind of some of the things we've seen in the last 12 months. Do you think the the increased interest in understanding and just even awareness around embedded finance, does that have any correlation to wanting more than one bank partner? Well, it's understanding that your bank partner is a critical, critical vendor, critical partner, to what you're doing. I mean, it can make or break your entire offering. You could have to stop issuing cards in an instant or stop opening accounts if something happens to that bank partner. So really thinking about it that way and understanding is important and it's important to the industry, right? So if we have a situation like that that happens to anyone, even maybe it's another bank that could be perceived as a competitor of mine, it's not good for me either to have them you know, get into regulatory trouble or scrutiny. It hurts us all. So it's important that we kind of all move forward. And I'm seeing more of that. I'm fortunate enough to be a part of different conversations and pockets of sponsor banks that are trying to learn together and share real stories so we can all improve the industry. That's exciting. That's how we should be working together. We have seen in recent times the importance of the of diversification and, and working with multiple partners. While I want to talk a little specifically about embedded finance, which a lot of that does not happen without the, that fintech and bank collaboration and, and partnership. But you know, what right now for you is really top of mind when it comes to embedded finance? You know, what's what's exciting from the bank perspective? Well, I think we all saw the you know neobank pop up in 2020, and they still have a place in fintech and embedded finance today. But I'm seeing an increase in non you know fintechs, tech companies that don't have financial services today want to incorporate those capabilities to either move money or hold money or lend money into their experience. And so they're not starting out in that fintech space. But if that's, to me, that true embedded offering, 
where maybe that end consumer doesn't really realize that they're banking. No one really wants to bank. It's something that we at Emprise have said often. They need a bank, but they don't really want to bank, right? It's a it's a means to an end. Like they want to they want a house or they want a car or they want to save money, but they didn't say they wanted a mortgage. So these embedded opportunities, I see the increase in them and it's exciting because that's what we're here for. That's what we believe in into the future. I also think that it it also creates how do we solve for that bank connection into that entity in a better way? Like what's the right product and what's, what are the requirements? Because those are not companies that have set out and built all of their staff and their growth and their resources around the financial piece of their product. It's just an added capability. I mean, what's that like, I guess? What is like an initial conversation with a, a non-finance company, right? Whether Whatever industry it may be. What are like the initial things that you have to discuss to have them be able to offer a financial services application of sorts? Yeah, it's always an understanding of what are they trying to achieve? You know, where does that product, what is it, where are they headed? What is their roadmap? What are they looking for in a bank partner? Can we support that? Is it within our risk tolerance of what we've built? Do we feel like we can kind of wrap our arms around it? Because that's our obligation is to keep that safe and sound and be able to oversee it. I mean, I really think about that as that's our product is to manage the risk for that partner so they can go and bet that solution and scale. We often ask them about the staff that they have, the experience they have in financial services. There's no right or wrong answer there, but it definitely changes the risk. And where, you know, where are they going to staff up over time? Uh, so we kind of, we scope out the entire opportunity and both of what they've built with controls then fills into what do we have built and to offer it. Is there a good match? Can we, can we move forward? Um, because it's not always the same with every bank out there and every fintech company looking for a bank. I mean, as you said, you know, it depends on what they want to offer. And I think what's so cool about embedded finance too is, is just that, you know, is something I heard this uh, one you know, kind of iconic woman in our industry. Her name is Jenny Just. And I heard her say this on um, like a panel she did where she talked about embedded finance. And, you know, imagine if like, let's take a dating app, for example, if a dating app, you know, there are finance implications for if someone were to go on a first date, right, with with another human. Imagine if there was like an easy, non-uncomfortable way to split the bill, to split the cap, to split expenses or what have you. And yeah, that really stuck with me. I was like, imagine that. I mean, I'm off the dating apps these days, but... That could have been a cool function to have That's before. That's a fantastic example of embedded finance, though, right? So those the people using the app aren't saying, hey, dating app company, I want you to embed a checking account or ACH into your capability. They're, like That's a means to an end again where they they need something. And in order to do that, you need financial services to make that experience happen. I love the ideas that come out of things like that. And there, again, that to me, that's the unrealized opportunity. But I see us tapping into it a little bit more every Every quarter, every month, I hear more from those companies that we're not building around fintech, but want to incorporate to enhance it. But those are the things that maybe we as a bank, honestly, the banking system isn't going to carry that innovation, but we can support it. Um, And that's the part that I get excited about in the partnership in this space. You know, we're not the best at customer acquisition or marketing or developing these like delightful UI UX experiences, but we can support those that can do that really well. And we can support them for the bank side of it. That's just the exactly the history of the of the industry, right? And why the technology side exists. The technology is here f- to help with the access, to help with the UX, to help with 
that innovation, right? Expanding to the adjacent industries, but the tra- more traditional, if you will, element of the of the banking side is FDIC insurance, yeah. is right, is compliance, is regulation, is all the other things that you still is is safety, right? Is protection against fraud. Like it's all of the things that you need to do both. I think it's been so so interesting and kind of silly almost that there's even a any kind of like narrative at all that's like fintech versus bank. Yeah, I agree. You know, we don't get to do these amazing solutions in embedded finance without each other, basically. It doesn't work, right? Because if you if you give up something on the bank side that's required, then it's not safe and that's going to hurt the whole industry. But you also have to like banks still have to be innovative and understand what's possible or listen and try to figure out how can they wrap those controls around this new idea instead of just saying, you know, that that's too unfamiliar. We're going to we're, we're going to say no and kind of build a firm box of, of a certain tolerance. I think it's still on us as bankers to listen. And it's something that I've tried to find myself in is like, how can I find myself in more tech locations or communities so I can be inspired and find the person who built the dating app? that might need a bank to embed that experience. Um, And that's on us as bankers. We have to kind of cross-pollinate as well. Do you like have to, you're like, I gotta gotta make myself go to this fintech conference. (laughs) Or maybe it's even conferences that are like outside of, if you think about it, those are some of the conferences we should be going to. You know, like conferences, like a healthcare one. (laughs) I don't know, you know. Yeah, I went to South by Southwest for the first time this year. And um, there were some fintech-focused events over a weekend there. So it was fantastic. It was fintech. But there was also like a women in tech breakfast that was just broadly women in tech. And it was not just fintech. And I met a woman, for instance, that was building like a workspace for freelancers where they can get bids on deals and then negotiate a contract and get and you eventually get paid. She doesn't have to build the payment piece of it if she doesn't want to, but it certainly enhances the experience. So she doesn't self-identify as a fintech, but she knows she needs financial services to make her product the best it can be. I like what you really said. You know, no one really has said this to me on this series, which is emerging yourself into into the adjacencies. Like, what other cities do you need to go to? Where do you need to travel? Or where do you have to literally change your proximity to understand where these other entrepreneurs and founders need financial services to enhance the experience of whatever it is they're trying to provide. There's so much of that. And again, I, I still think there's so much opportunity in those spaces that haven't come into fintech. Um, so we have a tight, you know, fintech community and a very big fintech community, but there's still this like outside adjacent tech community that I don't believe is fully tapped into yet. Is there any adjacent industry that gets you the most excited about embedded finance, like aware financial services could come in and be like, and we already said dating app, so we might need to pick a new, another, another space. You know, uh, the easy, maybe the easy answers, those B2B SaaS companies make a lot of sense. There's often, you know, money being exchanged on both ends. I also see a big uptick in early stage companies in the creator space. So you have a lot of people, you know, earning money in different types of gig work now through different creative platforms. And so how can they take in that money and manage it in a more meaningful way? Uh, I think there's still a lot lot going on in that area. Seems like a hot spot. So that's actually really interesting because, you know, there is a, a fintech company that ended up shutting down this year called Catch. And it's so and that was working to solve that exact 
you know, problem. And yeah, their their founder and CEO has been super transparent and just super open about and almost like she's really good at like she's been on the show like in my first season, but she's really good at almost laughing at herself like her. She changed her Twitter bio to like failed fintech founder and CEO and, and that type of thing. But the point is, I was I was definitely really shocked to to see that because I've heard, you know, from folks like yourself and even from industry panels and stuff that from even from VCs, like saying that that the creator economy and the freelance economy, the, this um, kind of new wave of that has emerged from the pandemic of workers who don't have traditional sources of income that need to be served with a ton of different fintech and financial services. So, yeah, I don't know. I hope to see more more solutions pop up because there's only two million full-time content creators right now, but I'm sure that that's bound to grow. <laughs> it seems like it. And maybe not full-time even. I think more about the ones that are part-time, right? So oh, okay, yeah. a side gig on the side. Because I can think of, I have, a, I have a close friend that's full-time in that space, but I can think of a couple of other friends that are part-time. And it's just kind of a side side piece of income for them and not a primary focus. But yes, I, I follow you know, catch in that story. And I know that kind of rocked a lot of people. I, it's the hard part about being in this space is there's failure, right? We're, there's new ideas and innovation. It comes with it. But hopefully that we pick up on that idea and keep carrying carrying the torch forward and innovate differently. Uh, but I do think, uh, so I've met, I don't know, probably half a dozen in the creator space in the last few months. Mm. So there are okay. people still trying to solve for the problem from different perspectives. Yeah, and maybe it's even... Even if like the company was just using this creator economy example, like even if the company was more presented itself right in that same light, like that other example you were sharing, not necessarily seeing themselves as a fintech company, but seeing themselves as a, you know, serving the creator economy with an embedded fintech solution. It don't you're kind of like unlocking my mind to even just from a investor perspective or just a services perspective, we really should be almost looking outside to just these other kinds of companies because I think it's just so easy for us to stay in our fintech. Yeah, financial services centric. So the thing yeah. about is, you know, when we're looking at a new opportunity, we go, okay, are they mostly driving their revenue stream from the financial products we're supporting? And if they are, do the numbers make sense? Like, do we think that we can all support each other? Does the business plan make sense? There are also sides of it where maybe we could partner with someone who's generating revenue from a different source and a different capability within their product, and they want to add financial services. So that risk looks different for the bank to step into. But then that's experimentation too, right? Maybe their primary product is not financial services. So how much attention will they give to that product if they try to launch it? Mm-hmm. And if they're just testing the water... What does unwinding it look like for the bank? I mean, we have to think of all sides of it. I feel like the bank partner has a lot of, has maybe a couple more strings to look out for, you know, like in these situations, like the fintech's kind of like the experience and, you know, bring, providing all of that. And um, yeah, and then the bank partner's kind of like, oh, hello over here. We, I must, um, <clears throat> pardon me, I must... Uh, <laughs> interject communication is important yeah. right oftentimes like when we're talking to a partner we're trying to figure out do we align with our values can we communicate when we get to conflict or a challenging situation how will we resolve that because we're in it for the long term we we want this to be profitable we're putting a lot of resources into it it's important to find that and again i think that's why the industry has to keep learning from each other so bankers learning 
the tech, the startup side, and vice versa, having that appreciation for the regulation and following it is important. I long for the day that there's like just like that kind of almost a perfect synergy between like the traditional banking, financial services side and, and realizing we need each other. Um, well, I, I feel like some of these elements could be extended to touching on Latin America a bit. I mean, there's a lot of things that are always exciting about emerging markets, whether, you know, we're, we're going to focus on Latin America right now. But um, all of the things and the challenges, the opportunities that we just talked about in better finance, even here, you know, in America more more broadly, you take those challenges even down to like partnership and communication and then apply it to another country. And it's like, oop, a whole set of other things we have to be thinking about. But when it just thinking about Latin America and, and emerging markets in general, I mean, what is maybe exciting for you as you think about all of the opportunities of embedded finance and extending that to another market? You know, I'd read about the uh, smartphone adoption in Latin America and how much that jumping and how big the gap started with in the last five yeah. years. So to me, that's interesting, right? Because you're giving this tool to this probably underbanked person population. And so the the fintech innovation that happens around that and that digital first means of handling your finances goes hand in hand with their first adoption of a smartphone. So the more that we expand, I mean, I think there's something tied to each other as you think about the expansion and growth of neobanks we've seen in Latin America and the adoption of smartphones. And there's there's room to grow, keep growing. So there's still plenty of, plenty of opportunity there. There's in the U.S. as well. You know, we still have yeah. populations without a smartphone in their hand. That technology gap, I think, is is huge. And But there's even to the point of, you know, thinking of the people that have, that do have the technology and have smartphones, but not even having the aware, like having uh, the awareness or, or knowledge to know that that, that this smartphone can be a tool for financial services. I mean, even here in my regular conversations, I still, someone meets me and is like, what do you do? Oh, fintech. I, they're like, what's that? And I'm like, you got a banking app on your phone? <laughs> That's fintech basically, right? And so I think there's still that, that cultural awareness that is still lacking here in the States and Trying to understand that for another country, you know, is like a whole is a thing. And I'm sure it's it's also lagging there, too. It's lagging, but I think it's also promising in Latin America because I've seen what some of the different governments have done to support innovation, not just control the growth of fintech, but also like be supportive. And so there's active progress being made in that piece. And you again, to a, the point of the financial system, you have to have support from that angle for you to really see growth and adoption. I love that you say that because I think someone else from the series had mentioned that, that like the Latin America government is like very on with this. And that's actually how it is in so many, so many other countries outside of the U.S. I mean, small mention of I remember when, you know, the war on Ukraine was first happening and I, I looked into the Ukraine kind of fintech scene just to see what was like at stake here. And similar situation where Ukraine is one of just like a handful of countries outside of the U.S. that has proclaimed that it is dedicated to using digital technology for better financial inclusion, you know, and so to have but to have that immediate kind of government buy in, I think, is so huge and something that I think as we're always kind of developing here in our own land, we can be thinking of, you know, for the future. I feel like there's like 
it's always good to be like, all right, what can we do later on? Absolutely. And I, there's different problems to be solved, right? Each kind of geographic region has a little bit of different problems, but I also think they can be inspiring and you can draw similarities to each other. So it's interesting to keep a pulse on Latin America for that reason. I also think about, obviously, some of the laws around cryptocurrency that have been implemented in Latin America to support those groups. Again, to see support from government is a good sign that they're there to encourage the growth that's already happening in that area within fintech, which is encouraging. Emily, I will ask you my final question, which is, if we need to be the change that we wish to see, what change in fintech do you wish to see and how do you embody it? So I have two answers for this question. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'll take the first part. And it kind of goes back to where we started at the beginning as we talked about the unique voices and diverse voices in fintech. Um, Again, being like a banker in Wichita, Kansas, trying to find a way to have a voice within tech broadly or fintech broadly and not really that exact banker landscape or banker kind of scene or industry is important. And I want to encourage fintech to think about what are the voices we're not listening to in banking and, and in fintech and bring them in. And I've seen pockets of that, right? There's some fantastic like women in fintech communities that I'm a part of, and that's been powerful for me and largely helpful. I would just encourage us to keep doing the same and think about who we're missing and who we haven't invited yet to the conversation. And then I think about on the, the opposite side of it, the other part I would answer that is again to that theme of kind of cross-pollinating and understanding where we're coming from. You know, to be honest, I don't ever see a financial institution understanding the pace and the way that like a startup or a tech company works. I mean, we're never, we're kind of two different animals and that's okay, but we have to figure out a way to continue to relate to each other and communicate with each other. And there's lots of that happening um, in the best ways today. So I'm not saying that it's it's a problem, but we have to have that continued evolution for us to move forward. We rely on each other. It's certainly not competition. It's reliance, it's partnership. That's what I embody when I'm engaging with partners in the FinTech space. And it's important to us. Hell yeah. That, that was awesome. That was, I don't know, I don't have a lot of people answer that question in, with two answers. So thank you. Well, thank you. Um, I got I to gotta have more bankers on this show. That's what's happening right now. Yeah. I well, we well, need more bankers in fintech. I, I have more of that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So true. And, you know, Emily, thank you for sitting in your seat, for being the bridge that we need in, in the industry. And, you know, and, and then, Doing it like the badass woman that you are, there always needs to be more of us in these spaces and and your unique seats. So thank you so much for being a part of this industry for as as long as you have, for keep going and all of that good stuff. And for joining me on this podcast and sharing your time and insights. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Let's keep building bridges. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, why not pass it on to a friend you think would enjoy it too? And be sure to rate us five stars wherever you listen. This episode was brought to you by Nova Payment, a mission-critical financial and payments infrastructure provider. So you don't miss any more fintech stories. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. 